Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Well, if you're just joining with us, we're in the middle of a message series entitled, It's Not You, It's Me. And if you were here the last couple of weeks, you know exactly what we're talking about. Um, You see... There was a sermon, a very famous sermon that Jesus preached a long time ago. And if you're here and maybe you're a little skeptical about Christianity, maybe you're, you're tired of necessarily everybody on TV or maybe even pastors giving you their opinion about life. And in your mind, you're saying, you know what, what does Jesus have to say? I mean, I, you know, I hear what this pastor says. I hear what this uh, talking head says. But, you know, what does Jesus have to say about how I'm supposed to live my life. Well, you're here on a good week because um, over the course of these eight weeks, so the last couple of weeks plus the next six, including today, um, Jesus Christ actually gives eight what we call in the church beatitudes. And there are really eight statements. They're broken up into two sections. The first four is it's really not about us. It's about him. The next four is it's not necessarily about him. It's about us. And so you'll understand the next four when we get to it. But today I'm really, really excited because maybe in life, There are some individuals that really push your buttons. There are some individuals that really get on your nerves. Husbands and wives, be careful today. Watch the elbows. But if you ever sat there and said, you know, what does Jesus have to say about how I'm supposed to respond? Like when someone really goes on the attack or someone says something in a derogatory manner or someone really is getting on my nerves, they might be a professor, they might be a boss, they might be a spouse, they might be a friend. But in that moment, what does Jesus have to say about how I'm supposed to respond? And today you picked a good day because he actually addresses this third beatitude. And that's where we're at in this, the third of eight. He's actually going to talk specifically to us about that instance. Now, in order to catch everyone up to speed really quickly, I'm just going to go over the first two beatitudes. Jesus stood um, on the Mount of Beatitudes, which basically is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful area. He's looking over the, the gorgeous scenery. And he sits down as if to have a fireside chat with you and me. And he has a conversation with us about the eight things that are going to draw you and me closer to God. If we live our lives a certain way, we will have close fellowship with God. Here are the first two. The first two say this in Matthew 5, 3 and 4. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. So stop. God blesses those who are, if you were here with week one, poor in spirit, which basically means in week one we said we recognize where we're at. We're self-aware. Wait a minute. There's a God and I'm not him. There's a God that knows better than me and I'm not him. There's a God who has a better plan for me and I'm not him. And so all of my world, my filter remains to be, God, I'm poor in spirit because there's a God, I'm not him. I am merely a man and because of that, I won't go to eternity because I'm sinful. I'm a sinful man. And so God, I need you. I need a savior. So if you have that, God blesses those who are poor in spirit for they, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You'll be on the right track to eternity. The next of it, number two, is God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. And they go hand in hand. It means this, not mourning over a death, but basically, Lord, I mourn because I realize that I'm a sinful man. And when I make wrong choices as a dad, as a mom, as a student, when I make a poor choice, I should grieve because that means I'm not following your plan. And if you're God, you have a better plan for me, which means it'll give me more success in life. So when I don't do what you want me to do, I should be mourning and grieving because I know I should do better. And so God, forgive me. And there should be mourning 
And God says, if you mourn, he promises to comfort those who mourn. And that leads us into this third beatitude, which talks specifically about our responses. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be Matthew chapter 5 in verse 5. Here we go. Third beatitude. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Now, many of you are saying, well, wait a second, Terry. You were talking about responses. What does this have to do with how we respond? I mean, it says God blesses those who are humble. Okay, I get it. If I have humility, then God will bless me more. No, that is not what Jesus is meaning about this beatitude. And the only way for us to understand it is to break it apart like we've done the last two weeks. So we're going to break this apart, and hopefully it brings a little bit more understanding. But before we do... I'll just share a quick story talking about this, about responses. I'll never forget, America was transfixed. There was a baseball game many, many years ago, and you'll remember it, and I'll get to it a little bit later in the service. But there was a famous baseball game. If you don't know anything about baseball, um, usually when a ball is hit to the outfield, an outfielder has one job. His job is to get the ball and to get it to the cutoff man or get it into the infield as quickly as possible because the runners are running around the bases. And so the manager had taught all of his outfielders, when you get the ball, hit the cutoff man. When you get the ball, hit the cutoff man. And so it was a very important game. It was a tie game. And the go-ahead run was on second base for the the opposing team. And a hard-hit ball went to the center fielder. The center fielder picked up the ball. And instead of quickly getting it to the cutoff man, which would have caused the runner to stop, which would have kept the game tied, the outfielder picked up the ball and panicked. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then made a very poor decision and just kind of threw it and went over the cutoff man's head, went way down the field. Not only one run scored, but two runs scored. They lost a very important game. But that's not the reason why America was transfixed on this game. It's what happened right after that. You see, because the manager had taught his team, you do this when it happens. And the manager was so angry at the outfielder because... They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. So the outfielder came in once the third out was recorded, came into the dugout, and the manager went on the top step and started berating this outfielder. It was as if the manager took a two-by-four out and said, I'm so angry at you. I, I, I got to scream and started swinging the two-by-four, not literally, but started yelling and screaming at this poor outfielder. It was so horrific that the outfielder actually cried right there on the field. And when you sit there and think, why would a manager do something like that? Why would he swing a two-by-four? It's because it made the manager feel better. He was so angry, he had to let it out. So I'm going to, oh, I'm going to let you know how mad I am at you. So swing the two-by-four. Many of us are horrified in this room or online by thinking a manager would do something like this. But let me ask a question. How many of us do that every single day of our lives in certain situations? How many of us? When someone gets on our nerves or someone does something for the 10th time and we've told them over and over and over again, and in that moment, instead of responding softly, we go, why are you doing that? I can't believe you do that one more time. Do you just not understand? And so we get frustrated. And so in the moment, does Jesus have a better way? Blessed are those who are humble. In order to understand this, let's break that down a little more. First, we've said this the last two weeks really quickly, the Beatitudes, blessed are those. It means a state of happiness. And so you will have a state of happiness if you follow what Jesus is saying. You will grow closer in your relationship with God if you follow what he's saying. That's what the Beatitudes are. So God blesses those who are humble. The word humble, right away you say, well, humility. No, the word humble in the original language is this, preus. And preus means gentle or 
in some translations, meekness. And this is the definition if you're taking notes. It means to exercise power without undue harshness. It also means to exercise God's strength under his control. It means that in the moment when someone's pushing your buttons, in the moment of decision, in the moment when you just, oh, I've got to let them have it, that you pause and you exercise constraint and you say, okay, I'm going to respond with undue harshness. It means I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to pick the two by four up. I'm not going to do it because that's not what God would want. Instead, I'm going to exercise control. It means I'm going to exercise power. And what power is, are we talking about? It's the power to confront. It means if someone is pushing your buttons, you just don't say, oh, okay, it's okay. You push my buttons. It's okay. And just walk away. No, no, no. You have to confront. But it means you confront under his control, not your control. It means that you don't need to pick up the two by four because God's got you. It means if you respond in the right way, let him be the person that takes care of it, which means you have to trust. And we'll talk more about that a little later. Last week, if you were here, we talked about what it means to recognize, oh, God, why am I doing this? God, I'm sinning. God, this is awful. I mourn. And theologians will tell you last week, this week and next week, all combined together. I told you last week, the first two came together. Well, two, three, and four come together as well. If you're taking notes, two, three, and four is what I like to call, this is my version, not the Bible version. I like to call it a morning sandwich. Little play on words, cheesy. Yes, that's me, I know. Morning sandwich. The second beatitude says this, mourn your sin and mistakes. And now Jesus says, hey, while you're mourning your sin and mistakes, you should humble yourself. You should in the moment realize, wait a minute, I need to allow God to speak through me. I need to allow God to take care of this. It is not me, it's him. And next week, if we do that this week, next week we're going to talk about righteousness and what it means to have a right heart with God. There's a famous um, doctor who wrote what it means to truly understand meekness. So if you're sitting here and you say, Terry, what does it really truly mean to understand humility? And he articulated in a way that I could not explain. So I'm going to show it to you. This is from Dr. Lloyd Jones. Take a look at this. He says, meekness is essentially a true view of oneself, expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to others. The man who is truly meek is the one who is truly amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. This makes him gentle, humble, sensitive, patient, in all his dealings with others. I didn't understand what this meant until yesterday. Now, I will say right up front, I make a ton of mistakes. I am prideful at times. I respond in harshness and anger at times. I do, I do more wrong at times than I do right. I am sinful man. I, even though I'm a pastor, I am still a man. So I will tell you humbly before you that while I share this next statement, I make more wrong than I do right. But yesterday, I truly got a glimpse of what it meant to be meek and to be gentle. My wife, Jennifer, she's at a women's conference today out of town. And so my son and I, he has a favorite restaurant. We said, all right, let's go to the favorite restaurant, daddy's son dinner. And we went out and we traveled over to the restaurant. We sat down and in walk in through the door, walked three friends. Two of them we knew really well. And one of them we kind of knew. And so they all sat down like, oh, come sit with us. And we sat down and we had dinner together. In the course of the conversation, the gentleman that I didn't know very well, he turned to me and he said, hey, you and I have a mutual friend. And I said, oh, really? And so he told me the person and he said, well, let me tell you about this. He said, because that person, every time he speaks of you, he reminds me that you changed his life. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm very uncomfortable when someone says something like that to me. 
Because right off the bat, number one, I don't have that kind of power. And I know it. And so when he said it, I go, well, I appreciate that. I said, but the truth is, is there are a lot of smart people that pour into me. And I says, and more importantly, it's really what God says in his word. All that I do is I translate it to others. And so I appreciate that comment, but really it's not me. It really is him. And so, you know, and he looked at me and he says, well, I, I appreciate that pastor, but I'm telling you, you change his life. And I kept pushing back and I said, well, no, again, I appreciate that, but no. And I felt very uncomfortable at the table. I didn't want that because the truth be told, I don't have that kind of power. I really try to point people to these words, the Bible, in order to have that be done. And so by the end of the dinner, he said one more time, he goes, well, he said, thank you for what you're doing in the lives of others. And I said, oh, I appreciate it, but really you should thank God. I was walking out and uh, my friend, he turned to me and he said, man, that's pretty awesome that you're doing that. And I go again, I, no, 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 it, it's, it's God. And I got in the car and Connor and I had a conversation, but I felt uncomfortable. And then I went back to that quote. And I want you to read this one more time. It says this, the man who is truly meek is the one who's truly amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. If that happens, no, 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 it's not me. I'm truly amazed that someone would think that of me. I'm truly amazed because that's not true and that's not me. And I got it at that moment. God, could you imagine if all of us, that the minute someone gives you a compliment, the minute someone says something kind to you, that if not out of false falsehood, but instead, out of a true heart, say, well, no, 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 no. I appreciate that, but it's not me. It's God. Hey, you know, you're a great business. Leader. I appreciate that, but, you know, I've got a great team. I've been blessed, but it's really God. Could you imagine if every single one of us, instead of taking credit for ourselves, we actually, in the moment, believed in our hearts. You know what? While I'm gifted, it's God's who gifted me, and nothing good comes from me. It's from Him. If you want to understand what it means to have meekness and gentleness, that's what it means in the moment to have that kind of heart, no pride whatsoever to say, God, it is not me. It's you. Maybe I'll illustrate this a better way. If you're a science person, I talk about history a lot. So I figured I'd give you a little science lesson. If you hate science, it's really short. I promise. Cause I don't like science much too. God created it. So we'll talk about it. So here we go. Newton, who is very smart, has a third law. And here's his third law. He says for every action, there is an equal an opposite reaction. Newton says, third law, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. This happens in our lives all the time. Unfortunately, many times it's not the way we should do it. It's when an individual comes and in the moment says something, does something that we don't like. And what Newton says is every time there's an action, there is a reaction. Every time someone said there's an equal and opposite reaction. Honey, you left your clothes on the floor. I know you tell me all the time, enough of it. Stop nagging me every single day. You nag and nag and nag and nag and nag. Reaction. Daddy, I'm, I'm home. Connor, pick your shoes up. Why? Stop saying why. Just pick your shoes up for what? Just do what I asked you to do. Stop complaining to me. Stop saying why. Just do what I asked you to do. Reaction. Newton's third law. If you're new here, I yell a lot, so you'll get used to it. But the truth is, is Newton's third law. We fall into that trap. We pull out the two by four and we just love to start swinging because it makes us feel good. There's a different kind of law. It's not in the Bible, but I created it. It's called Terry's third law. I want you to see this. Terry's third law. For every action, there is a response or a reaction. For every action, there is a response or a reaction. 
And in order to make that make sense, I want you to write this down. Next slide. There's a major difference between react and respond, and it's called thought. There's a major difference in the moment from reaction and response, and it's called having thought. You know, I shared with you about that manager, and there are many of us around the country that the day after it happened, we thought to ourselves, what if that manager would have responded instead of reacted? What if instead of pulling out the two by four, he would have just responded to that outfielder? Then maybe encouraging that outfielder. Could you imagine that outfielder from then on out, scared to death of making a bad decision because of what the manager did? Could you imagine if he would have put his two by four away and actually just thought in the moment instead of reacted? Well, here's the good news. There was another game. And that same outfielder makes the same mistake. And I'm so proud of the manager because I actually caught it on video. The manager actually called her her over. And you're going to watch how in the moment he used Terry's third law and he didn't react, but he responded. Take a look at the screen. Still missing the cutoff, man. Now that, that, that's something that I would like you to work on before next season. imagine if a lot of us, what is Jesus saying? Terry, in the moment, if you exercise humility, if in the moment, if you were here a month and a half ago, we talked about this. If in the moment you exercise a five-second rule, if you remember a, few, a couple months ago, we talked about a five-second rule, which said in the moment when someone pushes your buttons, in the moment when you hear the wrong thing, in the moment when you just want to go, go, and you just want to grab the two by four, in the moment, just stop, pause, God blesses those who are humble. I exercise restraint. I don't want undue harshness because there's a better goal. Let me illustrate this another way. Um, I I share a lot at our church that um, I believe every marriage, um, every strong relationship, marriage should have three principles, and that is to dialogue daily, to date weekly, and depart annually. And my wife and I will have a date night um, and usually it'll be on a Friday night. And, and if you know me and those of you who know me well know that I'm a stickler on time. I, I, I 
being on time is 15 minutes early to me. It's just like, no, we've got to do this. And if I'm running late, I am sweating profusely. It's a gene, I think. It just, you know, the sweat glands get going and it's just, you can't help it. And I know that while I'm gifted at being on time, I married an opposite in that. And that opposite um, is my loving wife who I can talk about today because she's at a women's conference, so I can have at it. And she is not great at being on time or doesn't see that value that I do, my neurotic value in time. And so I've learned over the years that, you know, if I start early in the morning and say, hey, honey, all right, tonight's our date night. So excited, you know, put the plank down. So excited, you know, we're going to go to this nice restaurant. Um, reservations are at six. And so I just want to let you know, really excited. Do you need me to help with anything, anything I could do? I mean, I'm being serious. I, I really do this. And so then later in, the, later in the day, I'll say, all right, so excited, honey, we're going to go to this restaurant. I think I'll get this. And you remember six o'clock, six o'clock is when we go. What time do you think we should start getting ready? You know, and I am neurotic about time, so there's no worry about me being on time. This is all said to really help her, be, to help me. So I'll say, you know, hey, you know, what time? You think we should start getting ready by 4.30? No, nah, 5 o'clock, I'll be fine. It won't take me long at all to get ready. Okay, just making sure. 6 o'clock, it's really important. That we're, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll get to about 3 o'clock, and I'll usually give like a, a, an hour and a half or two-hour warning. And then at 4.30, I'll say, well, I think I'm going to start getting ready. And I'm really not. But I just, you know, to hope it encourages, you know, the greases the wheel. And my whole goal about date night is, is for us to have a break, for us to communicate, for us to connect, for us to really have a wonderful, wonderful time. That's the goal. And I know this about myself, and I know that that's the goal, and I know that's why we do date night. You know, we go through all the trouble and everything else, drop Connor off at a sitter and and everything. And then the clock comes to about 5.20, and I'm already done. And I'm sitting downstairs, because I figure if I stay upstairs and I watch, I'm going to sweat more. So I'm going to come downstairs and I'm going to sit and I'm going to be in this true story and I'll sit on the couch and wait. And then about 5.25, usually it's about 35 minutes and guys, you know, if you're young, if you're a student, you got to pay attention to this. This is how you give a little warning. So about 35 minutes out, I'll say, hey, honey, I'm all ready. Is there anything I can do to help, you know, and, you know before we got to go? Because we probably need to leave here at about 5.50 because it takes about 10 minutes to get to the restaurant. So anything I can do to help, you know, any last-minute chores or anything else like that? Not only does it give me a few bonus points, you know, any chores that I can do. Guys, I'm just giving you some hint here. But it also, you know, in case there's any last-minute things we got to clean up. And you just say, no, no, I'm okay, honey. I'm just getting ready. I'm like, okay, great. We'll probably leave here in probably about, you know, 20 minutes or so. Okay, no problem. So I'm 5.30, about 5.40. I'm like, all right, honey, it's 5.40. We're going to leave in about 10 minutes. Are you good? Need anything? And then this is what happens. Yeah, I'm just trying to find the perfect dress. Do you notice all the guys in the room groaned? You feel my pain. I'm like, there's an amen. I don't know if that's biblical, but okay, we'll take it. Um, And so I'll sit there and I'll go, dress? What happened to the dress that you had on that I said looked wonderful on you? Didn't match my shoes. Okay. It's like, well, we got 10 minutes. I know, I know, I know we got 10 minutes. Now, here's the thing. I think that I'm being really subtle. Oh, no, I'm laying it on really thick now, and she knows it. So finally, about, you know, 545, 547, hey, honey, we got to leave here. I'm about, I'm going to walk out in the garage, make sure the car's all ready, you're ready to go, and... Next thing I hear is, honey, I'll be on time. I know. And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. 5.50 comes. Honey, it's time to go. You dressed? I'm just getting everything wrapped up. I'm putting my jewelry on. Can you put it on in the car? 
Honey, stop rushing me. Well, honey, I've been telling you all day, reservations are at 6. It is 5.50. If we don't get out the door now, we're going to miss the reservation. I mean, how long does it take for you to get ready? Oh, this feels good. And in that moment, my goal of connection, my goal of date night, it felt so good, though. But let me tell you what happens. Young guys, pay attention. Usually we get in the car, we start driving, and there is no conversation. We usually go, all the ladies are giving me the nod, like, you're darn right. You pick that too, boy, that's what you get. We'll go to the restaurant, and we'll sit down, we'll get the menu. There is no conversation. There's not even a look across the table. There is no connection. There is no date night. There is no chance, if you know what I'm saying. It's not going to be good. And it's usually about three-quarters of the way in the dinner that I look at my wife and I go, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm thinking. Because here's the truth. I have never gone to a restaurant and been late for a reservation where the person at the door says, sorry, you missed your reservation, you have to go home. That has never happened to me. And so why am I being so berserk and such a neurotic person about being on time right at 6 o'clock? When the truth is, we can be five minutes late, we can be ten minutes late. Now, if you're a mater D, you're hating me right now. But the truth is, is you can be a little bit late, and they'll still get you in. You know, I said last week that Jesus actually speaks about these things, not only in the Sermon on the Mount, but then he usually illustrates them later on. And he actually does this, and he reminds all of us to not swing the plank. Because the truth is, is that, yeah, it may make you feel good, but it doesn't get you to your entire, your, your desired result. So later on in scripture, as we talk about the plank, later on in scripture, this is Matthew 7, 3 through 5. He says this, and why worry about a speck in your friends? I tell you, why are you worried about her not being on time? Why is it driving you crazy? Why are you sweating so much? Why are you going through this? You've got to log in your own. You've got to calm down. You've got to relax. You have so many issues and you are so focused on this about her and you're making it all about this when the truth is you have no right, Terry, because you are a sinful man. You have no right to pick up the two by four. How, next slide, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? How can you yell at her for being late when you so many times you roll your eyes, so many times raise your voice, so many times forget things, so many times break your promises? How can you be so mean about being on time? How can you pick up the two by four when the truth is you need to look at your own self? And Jesus gets really strong about this. And he says, Terry, hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Blessed are the humble, Terry. Blessed are those who understand who they are. Blessed are those who recognize through meekness how God could love me and how my fellow brother or sister can look at me and love me. I have no idea because I am sinful man. Jesus goes on, he says, God blesses the humble, but then he tells you what you'll receive. And I don't want you to miss this. He said, God blesses those that are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. Now, some of us are like, well, what does that mean? They'll inherit the whole earth. You know, David actually speaks of this in Psalm 37, 8 and 9. He says this, stop being angry, turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm for the wicked will be destroyed. But those who trust in the Lord 
will possess the land. In the moment when you want to pick up the two by four, if you just trust and let him guide you, let him speak for you, if you just turn it over and trust him, you will inherit the land. You will possess the earth. Isaiah in the Old Testament, he was a prophet. If you don't know the Bible, he's a guy a long time ago that spoke for God. And he spoke to this a long time ago. And this comes from Isaiah 57. But whoever trusts in me will inherit the land. It's all about in the moment. Do we pause? Do we say, God, I am just man. I am sinful. I have no right. No undue harshness. I'll allow you to speak through me. And what God says is when you do that in the moment, you want a better business. You want a better marriage. You want a better life. You want to inherit the land. You want to inherit the whole earth. You got it. You got it. Because you're trusting me and not in yourself. Last note. When you trust in who he is, you will inherit all that he has promised. The question for some of you is you are holding this so tight because it feels so good. You don't know what she's done. You don't know what he's done. I need to hang on to this. It's my only defense, Terry. There's too much water under the bridge. When you do this, you are not humble. When you do this, you do not trust him. When you do this, you will not inherit, have success, or possess the land. It's time to drop the two by four. It's time to trust in who he is. Let's pray. Father, this message is for me. And God, I thank you for it. Yeah, there are many times when in life where my buttons will get pushed and, and God, it's so hard in the moment to not react. So God, I pray for every person in this room, for the student, Lord, for the young adult who is going through difficulties, who is frustrated or angry at a parent or a professor or a boss. And God, every time they talk, they just don't want to look at them. They don't even want to respond. God, forgive us. Because you say to be meek, you say to exercise restraint and not access undue harshness. So God, forgive us. Because when we do that, we don't trust you. I pray for every married couple in this room that can't even communicate to one another without a sly remark. God, forgive us. Because what right do we have to do that to a child of God? So God, in this moment, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray in this moment that we would say, God, forgive us. You are God and I'm not. And God, right now, I want to grow closer to you. And so I'm going to exercise trust that I may be meek and humble and that I may learn to trust you more. Father, I pray that this week you would show each person in here that when they do that, they will inherit the earth. They will have success. They will find their path, bringing them closer to you. With all eyes closed and heads bowed, it's one thing to go to church. It's another thing to be the church. And the way that we can be the church is that when God speaks, we say, God, not only have I heard you, but here's what I'm going to do. And the way that we do that is not with the words of our mouth, it's the actions and attitude of our heart. 
And so in just a moment, I've asked Tangina to lead us in a song. And I want everyone in this room in just a moment to stand and to sing the words of this song, but more importantly, to echo God, this is what my heart says, that I want to turn my heart to you and that I want to do what you've called me to do. So God, in this moment, right before we sing, may you speak individually to our hearts. May we focus solely on you and may our lives be changed. We bless you, Lord Jesus, for it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.